Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. All right, so um, we're going to do two things today. We're going to study the Scriptures, then we're going to do the Lord's Supper uh, afterwards. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7, and these selected passages I've picked out because they, they refer to uh, the messianic kingdom and, and what's coming. And let me give you kind of the, the background on what's happening here. Obviously, in chapter 7, we, you know, Daniel's been dealing with the Antichrist. He's been dealing with the beast government, which we've studied in the last month. And what he's done then is interject our hope through all the ugliness of the Antichrist and the beast system. He will interject through chapter 7 a picture of what the kingdom will, will be like. He interjects how, how uh, the Antichrist kingdom, the beast kingdom will be destroyed by the Son of Man and how the Son of Man will set up his kingdom forever. And, and, and so I want to look at all of this in the next two weeks, the positive aspects of what we got to look forward to. Because here's the thing, what I'm, I'm noticing. Um, I'm getting evil fatigue, Okay, I, I don't know if you ever heard that term, but I'm getting evil fatigue. I'm tired of watching it every day. It's like more and more stuff that I, it just blows my mind, right? And what happens is if, if you don't counter that with what the Bible gives us to cope with evil, you're gonna get messed up, man. You're gonna get uh, disillusioned. You're gonna get depressed. You're gonna have anxiety, stress, anger that you can't control, um, that's why like Lot said, when he saw what it was happening right there in Sodom, he said, I'm vexed. You know what vexed means? I'm angry. I'm angry about what I'm seeing. And you, you should be angry about what you're seeing. There's a righteous indignation. How dare these people blaspheme God and do things that they're doing. And so our ability to cope with what's happening right now in our world is dependent on how you understand the future. And the key is, obviously, hope. Hope makes people survive in concentration camps. Hope makes people survive in POW camps and stuff like that. If a person will have hope. Well, we have the true hope, the truth about what our future looks like. And I I can see why God did this through the Holy Spirit and Daniel uh, uh, interspacing all these these aspects among the evil in chapter 7. And so I want to take us through that, and um, it'll, it'll really give you the proper coping mechanism for all the junk we're seeing. Now, I don't have to convince you how, how evil it is, do I? Maybe I need to show you. Maybe some, some of you may not be convinced, oh, Brandon, it's not that bad. It's always been this bad. First time in American history, U.S. president calls out about 75 to 80 million people says they're a threat to, uh, well, we have a constitutional republic. They keep using the term democracy. We're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. This, guys, is, I'm, 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 it's not a political thing. This is the road to totalitarianism. When you hear speeches like that, and the stage setting was very eerie. Military guards behind him, red. It looked Hitler-esque. It looked like he was speaking from hell, okay? But when you, when you read, yeah, right? Um, 
But when you read the transcripts, and, it, and I couldn't bear to listen to it because my ears started bleeding, so I had to read the transcripts. Um, this is beyond Democrat and Republican. You understand this. This is at a whole new level what he did, calling out anyone who voted for Trump, basically, and dividing America. But understand that you and I are the enemies. See, they can't come out and say it, that the Christians are the enemies, so they're going to call us white nationalists. That's the new target because they realized it was the evangelical vote that got Trump back in, or sorry, got him in over Hillary. And they know they've got to decimate the evangelical vote and, and villainize Trump or villainize anyone, whether it's DeSantis or anyone else who runs for, uh, against them. They have to villainize them and separate the Christians out. That's why so many Christians the last time already brought, uh, 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 bought into the brainwashing of what the left told them to, do, uh, to think about in the last election. And that's why so many Christians voted for Biden. It's ridiculous, but they bought into the brainwash. This, guys, if it's not stopped, will be the end of America. If, the ele- if, if nothing happens in these elections, we don't get another president in here. This will keep rolling. Please understand, this is a prophetic thing in many senses. Other things, shocking details emerge on how Biden's White House colluded with social media companies to censor Americans in the last election. And it will happen in this election. I don't know if we'll ever have a fair election ever again because of the media and social media but it just tells you that they're colluding to make sure the right candidate gets in that office. That is what we did not expect, is the founding fathers did not understand the, con- they, they understand propaganda, they understand media. They did not understand that eventually the media would be a, 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 on one side and give propaganda out. That's where the monkey wrench came into our system. We have a media that is an ideologue. Okay, they don't report facts, they're ideologues. Now check this out, doctor, this is how evil it's getting. Doctor poses for a picture with a child she just mutilated. They think this is, they are mutilating kids. How long do you think God's gonna put up with this? They think it's great. That doctor is gonna pay. If she doesn't get saved, she will pay in hell, in her degree of suffering for what she's doing to children. I hope she gets saved because hell will not be fun. Major League Baseball. Now we see, I said this on Wednesday night, 20 teams are now uh, are supporting, advocating directly for child gender transitions. Okay? It includes, if you're a fan of any Major League team in California... All California teams are contributing money to mutilating children, okay? Dodgers, Angels, uh, Padres, Giants, Oakland, all of them. School, now think about this, how crazy this is. School reportedly allows teen girl to identify as a cat in class. Yeah, this is how crazy things are becoming. No one seems to have a protocol for students identifying as animals. I have a protocol. It's called go home. <laughs> you go home and you want to act like that, you can just go on home. But you're, we're human beings here. You're not a cat. What insanity is happening in our schools? 
It's insane. You know, even in, you say, oh, that's not going to come to Bakersfield. Yeah, they, yeah, it is. Already, Norris School is allowing furries. What's a furry? I don't know. Um, I guess it's a, they wear little tails and a little thing on their head. And, and apparently, Norris's board um, has told the administration, the administration has told the teachers, you've got to let these kids be furries. Yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not making this, this happening in Bakersfield. You say, no, it's in LA. No, no, it's here. We're going to treat kids as furries right here in Bakersfield. What insanity is that? Look at this. Kids give money, dance with male drag queens at a family friendly. Yeah, family friendly now. This is in Texas. Uh, as Antifa stands guard with guns. Now, there, this is wrong on two fronts, right? I showed you this on Wednesday that this is now the new norm, that it's, uh, you have family-friendly drag queen, okay? It's nuts. Evil, evil. But they have to protect the evil by Antifa. So they were surrounded by Antifa guards that are armed. You see the, the, the weapons? They were, this whole thing was armed. Tells you what side Antifa's on. Tells you what side the transgender thing is on, doesn't it? Pro-LGBT agenda PAC will target politicians who oppose the LGBT agenda and support figures who back the left-wing movement. This is what I rail against. I rail against the LGBT agenda. I'm not railing against those caught in homosexuality and lesbianism. I'm going after the agenda. Notice what the agenda is doing. It's, go- it's setting out to slam, slander, lie against anyone that opposes them. Their propaganda wing. That's all they are. By 2035, you will be forced to buy an electric car you cannot use, according to Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Why, why can't you use it? Because there's not enough grid. There's not enough electricity. And so they told people this weekend, to, if you have an electric car, don't plug it in at certain hours. So what do you do if I'm stuck in LA and I need to come home and it's at four o'clock in the afternoon and I, I'm not supposed to plug it in? What do I do? Just sit there? Yeah, sit there. Sorry. That's the mentality of these people in California. That's Gavin Newsom's order. Imagine they're going to force you to go green. And then there's not enough electrical grid for everybody to go on green, to go electric. And how many of, of us can afford an electric car? Nearly $60,000. And if you replace that battery, sometimes it's twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 to replace that lithium battery that destroys um, mountains and, 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 and has slave labor in places like uh, Pakistan and, and Afghanistan where they have to get lithium. They don't care about that. They don't care about the slave labor. State leaders launched new program encouraging builders to construct all electrical affordable housing. Anyone buy a new house lately? It's going to be all electric. So what's the problem with that? They can shut you down. They're also going to put a smart thermometer, not smart meter, a thermometer in your house so that when it gets too hot and the electrical grid is pulling too much gigawatts or whatever it is, they'll say, you know what, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, we're going to now run your air at 80 degrees to reduce uh, you know, uh, everyone's uh, pull on the electricity, and you're going to like it because we're going to save the planet through it. Now you think, that's not going to happen. It's already happening. It's already happening in Texas. It's already happening in Colorado. Colorado just shut down this last week, uh, about 200,000 homes. They, they, they raised the thermostat in the house, I think 80 or something like that. And it, it, you know, 
for them, it was hot. It was like in the 90s, okay? Forget that. It's like 105 here. That's no big deal. But the, the point is, the electrical company sat the, the thermometer at 80. So people were roasting uh, inside their house. I'm telling you, this is why they're going electric, to control us. UAE, US, Israel uh, launched religious coexistence and tolerance team. And guess what? They have launched this, this coexistence tolerance team to create the one world religion, the whore of Babylon. Look what they're making. They're, this is in the um, United Arab Emirates. Um, and they're making a, a mosque, a temple for, for Judaism and a church saying we can coexist of the Abrahamic faiths. This is the foundation, by the way, of the whore of Babylon and the Vatican's right behind it and so are the Muslims and so are the sellout Christians involved in this. You're watching the whore of Babylon form right in front of you and the Pope is leading the way. Pro-choice pastor and Dem, and, and Dem senator says, Jesus only claimed to forgive sins to play a psychological game with us. Yeah, these are guys that are behind the pulpit now. These are the types of behind the pulpit. It's insane, right? But here, let me, let me, before we go to the scripture, let me show you something. I've been reading up on this guy, Dr. Matthias Desmond. He was interviewed by Tucker this last week. And uh, he said some startling things. And I think it, we would all understand this. How did we get here? I just showed you insanity, okay? I just showed you pure evil. That's, that's what our world is. How did we get to this point where parents are okay with mutilating their kids and having doctors cut them up? How did we get to this point? Here's this interesting find. It's called mass formation psychosis. Now, I will, spirit, I will speak spiritual, and I say this is how Romans 1 works, okay? But notice the findings, when you have mass formation psychosis, which I believe is happening here in America and around the world, 30% of the population fanatically adopts the false narrative and they become the new collective. So you'll, and it's like down to the wire. In studying history, no matter what propaganda comes out, at least 30% of the people will believe it and become devoted to it. Do we have people like that? Yes. Then he says 65% of the population don't believe the narrative, but will never speak out. They will always choose the easy way and go along with the fanatical 30%. Does that explain a lot? So you got that, what, 95 now percent of the population, a good portion of it knows something's wrong, but they just go along with it. They don't want to say anything. They commit the sin of silence. Only 5% go against the psychosis and speak out. Let me ask you this. Are you part of that 5%? I hope so. Because if you can see the stats, this is where we're at. They have been doing a mass formation psychosis on the American people, and it has worked very well. Very well. I'll come back to that 5% and how important that 5% is. So this is what's happening. You have evil fatigue, you have righteous anger, you have stress, you have anxiety, and you have depression starting to crop up in the 5%, okay? So we're like, law, I'm vexed. I can't take this anymore. I'm sick of it. I don't want to see it anymore. What do we do? Well, then the key is in scripture, what God wants us to do is 
Yes, acknowledge how evil your day is, but then project out into the future what he promises us. And that's the key to managing and coping with all this junk. Otherwise, if you don't balance this out with our hope, it will start affecting you. It really will. It will, draw, it will bring you down. So let's look. This is Daniel chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse nine and look at the positives about what, has, what God has in store for us. I watched till thrones were put in place. Now, this is a scene in heaven and around the throne of God, certain thrones are put in place. Now, these are thrones that weren't there before. So it's projecting into the future and there's thrones all around the throne of God. That's brand new. Who are these people? Who sits on the thrones? Let's find out. This is Revelation. And Revelation chapter five. And it says this. Now when he had taken the scroll, talking about the Messiah, taking the scroll from the father, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Who are these 24 elders? Are they angels? Who are they? Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Incense actually, which are the prayers of the saints, okay? But what saints are they? Are they Old Testament saints? Are they New Testament saints? Are they tribulation saints? What type of saints are they? Okay, well, look at their song. And they sang a new song, a new song. No one's ever sung this song before. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, referring to the Messiah. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of what? Every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Now, who are these people? Notice where they're from. Where are they from? Are they from Israel? Could be, but notice where they're from. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And in the chronological order of Revelation 5, you can only pinpoint it to one group. It's us. It is us. It is the church. 24 elders represent the church. Now, what does 24 represent? Notice what it says. You've made us kings and priests. 24 refers back to how David divided the Levitical priesthood into 24 concourses. And what that would happen is you would be on a, uh, a team, so to speak, of Levitical priests and you would go in and serve at the temple that week, and that was your service. And, and so David divided it into 24. So anytime you're talking about a priest, 24 is associated with that. But these priests are different. Levitical priests are not kings, are they? Only these priests are royalty as well. So that tells me they're in a different line of priesthood rather than Levitical. Does that give you more of a clue? So guess what? 24 represents priests, but they're from a different order. They're from the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. Oh, remember the Melchizedek, 
the individual that Abraham ran into? What was the situation with that? that? We don't know where Melchizedek came from. So there's a typology, he has no beginning, has no end. He blessed Abraham, but Melchizedek was a king priest. And then the order of Melchizedek started from him. He was the ruler of Salem. Guess what's that short for? Jerusalem. It was Salim at the time. So the identification of this is this is a group of Melchizedekian priests. And guess what? Messiah is a priest, but what order is Messiah from? He's from the tribe of Judah, so he can't be Levitical. So he's what, according to Hebrews? He's in the order of Melchizedek. Hence, you and I in the body of Christ are also in the order of Melchizedek as a king priest. David was in the order of Melchizedek. Did you know that? David was a king priest. And so the identification of these thrones being set up around God's throne is us. It's us. It's the church. And so, what, and then, and so we're in the order of Melchizedek. And Revelation 20 mentions this, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. What judgment? The judgment of evil. The judgment of evil people. The judgment of angels. Do you see the privilege now that what God is trying to tell you? He is saying, look, I know how bad it is on the ground. I get it. I understand it. In fact, God's telling you and I, I'm allowing it because it's heading to a certain direction to get my son on the throne. But the role that you play is this. I need you to keep doing what you're doing, but I have promised you a great future. These evil people that you're seeing, like Biden, like Putin, like Zelensky, like all these creeps that you see around the world, Winnie the Pooh, Rocket Man, all of them, when you see the LGBT agenda, when you see George Soros, when you see Bill Gates, one day you will judge them. You will judge Joe, uh, Biden. He will stand before the Lord and you will sit there and judge Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and every other person of their ilk. That's what God is promising you. That's pretty good. That's really good. I like that. I can't wait. Wow. You mean I get to see God do that to them? Yeah, you do. And if they don't get saved, you'll watch God cast them to the lake of fire as you part, participate in this judgment. You think, Brandon, that's just, you're just being mean. I'm not. I'm being justice-oriented because this is what this is about. When the, the prophecies are about injustice, they're about the Antichrist and the beast system causing injustice and crushing people to the ground and wiping them out. So God's coming back saying, I will make sure the justice happens. And you, Brandon, and all of you here sitting here will sit there right on your throne and judge these people. They will line up right in front of you. You will see them. You will judge Satan. You will judge fallen angels as well. You will judge the demons. They will all line up in front of God and you will be there at the judgment. Because see, deep and down in our heart, we want justice right now. I'm sick to death of watching these people get away with things, aren't you? I'm sick of it. 
And God's saying, just wait on me. There's a payday someday. And they're gonna get it. If they don't stop, if they don't come to faith, they will get it. That's good news to me. Well, where does this happen? Well, Daniel doesn't talk about it because the church is a mystery in the Old Testament. What does a mystery mean? When you run into the mysteries in the New Testament, a mystery is just simply this, something that wasn't told in the Old Testament that is now being explained in the New Testament. It's new revelation, and it was a mystery in the Old Testament. And so the mystery was the body of Christ. The mystery was the rapture. And then the, what, what uh, ensues from this is the judgment seat of Christ for the church. This was not predicted in the Old Testament. So it's new revelation. But this happens once after we're raptured and we go to be at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me explain something about the judgment seat of Christ. It is not like taking a soccer team to Rusty's Pizza and having an in-year party for how well they played. Okay, it's not that, where everybody gets a trophy. It is not that, okay? Please get that out of your mind. But also get out of your mind that you're gonna be judged for sin. That's already been taken care of by the cross. You're not gonna be judged for sin. So what is this judgment about? It is about a judgment of rewards. What he can give you and what he can't, okay? And, and that's what we're talking about. Now, Paul will mention this to us. Do you not know that the saints, he's talking about the church, will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Did you hear that? You and I will judge, now, now we're not talking about the earth, but people, we will judge the world. Judgment has been committed to the Messiah and Messiah shares that judgment with us. Notice a little thing on the end tagged on, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? I love it when they say, well, you know, when the seculars come back to, and they tell you and I, well, Jesus said not to judge. In context, he said, don't judge hypocritically. If you're doing the same thing, if you're judging someone for robbing a bank and you're robbing banks, that's called hypocr uh, hypocrisy. You're not supposed to judge hypocrisy. But we can judge and we're called to do so. You are the 5%. Your job is to call it out. If it's not you, everyone else is going silent. I don't want to be part of the 95% that just goes along and doesn't say anything and they know it's wrong and the 30% are crazy, have lost their minds and the 65% follows the crazies. No, no, you are to judge because it's already been judged. You know what right and wrong is, don't you? God says, that's right, that's wrong. You make the judgment based on what he has already said. You have the right to judge. Look what he says. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? If you're gonna judge the world, don't you think you can judge that it's wrong for a girl having a doctor cut off body parts because she is in some crazy mode of saying, uh, I'm a boy? We're gonna cut off parts of her? You have a right to judge that. You have a right, and you should. You should say something. Look what else it says. To him who overcomes. Ah, there's a key phrase right there. We're gonna to get to that in just a second. To overcoming 
has to be done in order to judge and in order to rule and reign. You have to overcome. I'll show you how, what you have to overcome. I will grant to sit with me on my throne. This is the Messiah speaking. As I also overcame and sat down with uh, my father on his throne. Now this is key understanding. What throne is Jesus on right now? Based on that text. The father's throne. Ah, so do not let these covenant theologies, reform theologies, preterism, all-millennialism, post-millennialism, or even uh, leaky dispensationalists or progressive dispensationalists tell you that Jesus is on David's throne. He is not. He is on the Father's throne. David's throne is a political throne in Jerusalem that Messiah will sit on in the future. But right now he's on the Father's throne. But, but, but being on the Father's throne means that authority and judgment has been committed to the Messiah. Therefore, the Messiah says, then I'm gonna allow you to sit on my throne, which in effect is saying, I'm giving you also a shared responsibility in judging the world and, and having that authority to rule and reign with me. If you overcome. Oh, let's talk about that. What is an overcomer? It's not an automatic. Not all believers are overcomers. You have to understand this. Yes, First John will talk about we have overcome. That's in salvation. That's what, that's what First John is talking about, overcoming because of being saved. But that, in Revelation 2 and 3, there's a different type of overcomer. This is a saved individual that overcomes certain things in the spiritual life. What are they? Well, let's go through them real quick. If you read the seven churches of Revelation, they will tell you what to overcome. In Ephesus, if you're part of Ephesus, your job is to overcome by making Christ a priority and nothing else. Now, why is that a problem? Because Ephesus puts other priorities ahead of Christ, and that's why they lack in love for him. What, what it means is that these types of believers have other things. Now, Christ is on their priorities, but he's not the top priority. They might have their family as a top priority. They might have their career as a top priority. They might have other things as a priority, and Christ is maybe third or fourth or fifth. That individual doesn't rule and reign because they lack love in the Messiah, okay? It's, it's, and it's all seen through their priorities. In order to overcome the situation in Ephesus, every believer has to make Jesus the priority and not other things, okay? That's one thing. Second thing, the other thing people have to overcome is not suffering obediently. So if you suffer, you must suffer well. You must suffer obediently. You must suffer in submission. But if you blow apart and you pop a gasket or whatever it is when you're suffering and you compromise or whatever, you get mad at God, that is not an overcomer of Smyrna. You have to suffer well in order to rule and reign. How about this one? Overcoming theological, behavior, be, theological and behavioral compromise, which is Pergamum. What does that mean? Right now you're watching and you're witnessing Christians compromise with this world. That's why 54% of the church believes that gay marriage is okay. That's, that's Pergamum, okay? 
They're compromised. Many churches are already compromised. Many, many pastors are compromised right now because they are allowing behavior that they know is forbidden and they are also allowing wrong theology, which they know is, is bad, but they are allowing it anyway. That's called Pergamum. If you don't overcome that in your life, you will not rule and reign. How about the next one? Overcoming the whore of Babylon religion, which is Thyatira, which is nothing but the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. Now, the whore of Babylon is at work. I just showed you a, a, a clip of you know, the Pope and Islam and Judaism coming together and forming a world religion. But make no mistake, part of this religion includes wokeness. Wokeness is part of the whore of Babylon because it's the opposite of what God says, right? Critical race theory, all this other junk, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, all that junk, ESG, it's all whore stuff, whore Babylon. But what's happening? Christians are now assuming that into their theology, right? Saying, well, what's wrong with saving the planet? What's wrong with saving the polar bear? Whatever it is, it's based on a lie. But when they, when they take that in, they're taking the whore in. They're committing spiritual adultery with her and that believer will not overcome. The other overcomer is spiritual deadness. This is the church of Sardis. Now, what, is that, what do I mean? For believers, it means that their faith is dead. This is a misinterpretation many times when people read James and they read it in a Calvinistic sense and say, well, you know, if you have no, no works, then you're not even saved. That's not what James is saying. He's saying if you do not have works, then it proves that your faith, even though you're saved, is not producing anything because it's dead. So there's a lot of dead believers. They're saved, but their life doesn't produce anything. Yeah, they go to church and they do the rituals, but there's nothing coming out of them. They don't do anything. They don't serve. They don't minister. They don't evangelize. They don't do anything. They sit on their blessed assurance in the back row and do nothing. Okay? That is Sardis. And there's plenty of those out there. If they don't overcome that deadness, they will not rule and reign. Overcoming the lack of persevering. This is the Philadelphia church. Now, the Philadelphia church has no condemnation. It is a great church. It is what we call the remnant church. I believe Rock Harbor is part of the Philadelphia element. So with the other churches that we, we are connected with on our church tracker, these are the remnant churches, the Philadelphia. They haven't compromised the word of God. But what he tells Philadelphia is keep uh, uh, persevering. Don't stop, don't get tired, don't quit, keep going. Believers who get tired, spiritually fatigued, and give up the fight and say, you know what, I'm tired, Brandon. I'm just gonna sit back, sit on the spiritual couch, put on a white sheet, and let it all go to pot, not say anything, and I'll wait for Jesus to come back. That is not persevering. Persevering means we're gonna fight to the end. We're gonna, we're gonna say the truth till the end until we're finally raptured. We don't give up. We keep fighting because you're part of the 5%. The rest of the culture needs you. It needs you fighting because if you don't fight, then it goes down the slippery slope faster and people get worse. We may never change the 30%, never. They're crazy 
Understand that. When you look at AOC and you look at Nancy Pelosi, they're part of the 30%. They have a psychosis. They're crazy. They're nuts. You're not going to change that. But what you will change is the other ones that are on the fence that, re- that are committing the sin of silence. And by your voice, you stop that other group from going over the cliff. As long as there's someone out there saying something. It's been proven in Nazi Germany. It's been proven in the gulags. If the 5% will do something and say something, it stops the culture. That's what we were told, weren't we? That we are preservative element in the culture? That we are the salt and light? Didn't Messiah say that? Didn't uh, he say, Paul say in 2 Thessalonians that the Holy Spirit is restraining evil through you and I? Oh, that's right. You have to persevere. Lastly, you have to overcome personal apostasy and the great apostasy. The great apostasy is the falling away from the faith, which means that they fall away from theological tenets that they once held or behavioral tenets that they once held and now they've fallen off into accepting what the world says. That's apostasy, okay? And that's what's happening right now, right? I mean, you've seen churches now support abortion. That's apostasy. You see a church is supporting, you know, um, uh, these drag queens in the, in the pulpits, that's apostasy. All that stuff is to be overcame, that you don't apostatize in this awful, wicked day. That being stated, that's what overcoming means. And as you can see, not every believer will overcome. Some believers, will, they'll get to heaven and everything, and that's because salvation is based on what Messiah did, but rewards are based on what you do. It's tagged onto you. Are you overcoming in these seven areas? If you are, fantastic, because you will get to rule and reign and sit on the throne and have authority and be able to sit there and watch Joe Biden get judged. I ain't missing that one. I'll persevere to the end on that. There's also five crowns. These are other ways to rule and reign and have authority. The first one's an incorruptible crown, which means that you have mastered the sin nature. It doesn't mean you're sinless. It means that you have control of your sin nature and you can guard it pretty well. Crown of rejoicing, those who evangelize. Crown of life, those who suffer well. Another repeat of revelation. Crown of glory, fulfilling what God has called you to do. What is your unique ministry right now? What has God put you on this earth to do? What is your mission field? What is you being salt and light? You have a unique ministry. You must fulfill it. If you do, you'll get a crown and be able to rule and reign. And then a crown of righteousness. Those who love biblical prophecy and the coming of the Lord and the coming of his kingdom. Oh, why would God give a crown to those who study eschatology? Can you, can you take a guess? Why, 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 why that? It doesn't say you're getting a crown for studying soteriology or ecclesiology or harmatology or demonology or angelology. It's those who study eschatology get a crown. Why is that? Why is that the only subject you get a crown for understanding? Because it's the most neglected in all of 2,000 years. And it is the most neglected today. 
Our, uh, uh, Randy will tell you. The majority of churches won't touch eschatology. They won't touch prophecy, won't talk about anything. And hence, it's the very few that do get the crown. And if you're part of that and understanding eschatology, signs of the times and what, how scripture is predicting these things, you will get that crown. And that's why it's so rare, I mean, why you get a crown for it, because it's so rare. Faithfulness is another part. This would go in uh, with persevering, but the parable of Amina is the parable of the talents tells you and I that if you're faithful in your Christian life, you will rule and reign. Faithfulness with what one has been given by the Lord to minister to the world and to the body of the Messiah. Look at your gifts. You wanna know what you're supposed to be doing? You gotta know your gifts. Your gifts will tell you what you're supposed to be doing. They define the, 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 the avenue you're, on, you're supposed to be on. If you, here's the problem. If you don't know your gifts, you won't know what to do. So you gotta know what your gifts are. And then you gotta know what your identity is. And then you will figure out what you're supposed to do. And once you get into your sweet spot, man, it is like hitting a home run every time you do it because you're, you are made for whatever you're supposed to be doing. It will, be, it will actually be natural to you. It will be easier to you because you're gonna be supernaturally empowered to do it. But you've got to find it. You've got to find where your groove is. Let's end on this. Hope in God's promises, this is the application of the future kingdom, will bring meaning to us here and now. Of course, do you know why a mass psychosis is happening to the world? It's because they have no meaning in life. They don't know God. They're godless, and because they're godless, they have no meaning. But what, the, what does the future tell you? Okay, you're gonna rule and reign. Okay, so what do I do to rule and reign? You gotta do all these things. Okay, great. That gives you meaning. If you look at your gifts and what you're supposed to be doing, that gives meaning in your life. That stabilizes you, and believe it or not, it prevents you from being deceived. If you know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, that makes you the 5%. And what does the, 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 the stats prove? That speaking the truth wakes people up and prevents people from getting worse. And again, the passage I would reference is 2 Thessalonians 2. If you don't say something, who will? Because the majority of people don't say anything. They're ignoring it, pretending it's not happening. We need you in the fight. We need you doing something. Hope in God's promises about our future will give us strength to endure and cope with the situation. People ask me that, that a lot of times, Brandon, how do you cope with seeing so much? Because you do a lot of research and you're seeing a lot of things and I see the things and I can't really take it. I say the first thing I do is I know what my future is. I know what God has promised me. And see, when you have that hope of that, there's gonna be a new day. Think about the day that's coming. There's no more evil. There's no more curse. People don't die. People don't get sick. We're given bodies that will last forever, ever. Instead of being the bottom rung of the society like we are, you will be kings and, and queens. 
And I heard a voice from heaven saying, now behold, the dwelling of God is with men and he will be with them and he will be their God. And I heard another voice from the throne saying, behold, I make all things new. And there will be no more death or crying or sorrow or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what keeps me going. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn through your scriptures. Beautiful future for us, Father, what you have created for us, what you have in store for us. But Father, we saw those promises. Help us to overcome. Help us to get those crowns so that we can rule and reign and participate in authority with you. We so desperately want justice and we know that you promised justice in the end and we actually can participate in it, Father. Wow, amazing. So help us to do what you've called us to do. Help us to find our gifts. Help us to understand while we're here what you want us to do.